Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 238, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. My name's Cedric Golden, joined as usual by the Duck Kirk Bowles. And Duck, uh, man, we, we, we've we been trying to land this big fish for a while, and man, <laughs> the hook came back with some meat on it today. Fox <laughs> color analyst Joel Klatt is joining us. He's on the call with Gus Johnson for Saturday's Texas-Oklahoma State game, 11 a.m. on Fox. Joel, how are you today, bro? I'm doing wonderful. It's, it's always uh, always good uh, on a game week when you're coming to Austin, although it's a lot better when you're not the player coming to Austin but the broadcaster. <laughs> Seriously. You know a little bit about that. Yeah, ain't that the truth. <laughs> Cedric, Cedric, I was just telling him before we started what a great job he does and just how polished he is. Uh, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I think he's one of the best analysts in college football. And uh, I don't know how long have you been an analyst now, Joel? Well, shoot, I I did um, my first television game in 2006, right after I was done playing. So I've I've been doing this for about 15 years, but you know, major college since. You know, 2009, 2010, right around there. So about 10 years. And Longhorn fans remember you well, don't they? <laughs> well, yeah, but but not for reasons that I would like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I I am tied to uh, that 05 Longhorns team, good, bad, or indifferent on my side. You know, and and I'm the only I'm the only four SOB in the, on the planet that had to play quarterback against that defense twice in that same season. Oh. So <laughs> I think both, both times they, uh, they concussed me and for good reason, man, they were good. Well, I'm going to tell you, man, it, 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 I'm sure that the, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes of 05 sent along some thanks to Texas tech for giving up 70. So we can stop talking about 05, uh, the 70 <laughs> to three. So, That's right. Man, um, I I just like to ask you. Uh, I know I know you're at the um, the Iowa Penn State game, but um, this Texas OU game was a was a barn burner, fifty five forty eight, and the, the Longhorns are are really staggered right now. Uh, I mean, through your playing career, how do you recover from such a gut punch with very little time to process? That's a great question. I, I think it's it's incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. Um, I might be getting the weeks mixed up here, but I'm almost certain that we went, we played an, an emotional game, and certainly not on the level of what Red River was uh, a week ago. We played an emotional game against Texas A&M in 2004 on the road in College Station, 
and I mean, laid it all on the line, played really well, lost in overtime because, uh, you know, weirdly, a guy had never fumbles, fumbled the ball, and all of a sudden the game's over. And I've never been in a locker room that was that heartbroken uh, as mm. that one. I, be- I believe the very next week we had to play the 04 Texas team mm. with uh, Sed and Derek Johnson, and Vince was, you know, a, a redshirt sophomore, I believe, in this right. And we just had nothing. We we had absolutely nothing in the tank. So, I mean, that's the only history that I can draw from it and, and to try to wonder what it, what it feels like. I will tell you, though, that there's nothing that I've done in college football. I've done Michigan-Ohio State, Big Ten Championship games. I've called a lot of big games. There's nothing quite like the emotional fever pitch of the Red River game. There's nothing like it. It's, it's so nuts. unique. It's the, the noise is there the entire 60 minutes because of the 50-50 crowd split. It's, it's a fever pitch for the entire game. And because of that, it's exhausting to call. I can't imagine how exhausting it is to coach in or to, or to play in. And in particular with the emotion and how fast it arrived for Texas, the 28-7 lead, you know, the big play and the first play of the game, Xavier Worthy goes down the sideline. You get the blocked punt. You stick it in the end zone. I mean, it it was ratcheted up to 10 right away. And then to just slowly, over the, the course of the game, you can just see it. It's just deteriorating. And it's like a train coming in the distance. And there had to be some sense of inevitability. And you want so badly to, to hold up, in particular on the defensive side, or make a play here or there on the offensive side. And it doesn't matter how much how hard they play. It just seems like that train just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. You hope the clock runs out and it doesn't, and then ultimately you get beat. That has to be as draining a game as as any of those players has ever played in. And yet, and yet, I will tell you this, it still feels like there's some juice. Mm -hmm. And the reason Mm -hmm. is, is because while there's no moral victories in this sport, and I wouldn't defend the notion that there is, there is, there, there is a sense that there is something building this was not you know two champions in a championship bout fighting this was an up-and-comer who needed to 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 see if he could stand toe-to-toe and and see if he could take the best shot and what do i have in this new regime and steve sarkeesian i think that there's probably a feeling sitting in the corner even though you were knocked out late that hey we're on the right track and if we continue to do these things then we're going to be the team that can be on that other side. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean the offense is right there. I mean, you know, Casey Thompson's been, you know, terrific. Throws five touchdowns, passes almost 400 yards, and he has to come away disappointed. You know, Bijan Robinson, 137 yards, and uh, it's the defense holding them back, and uh, they're having trouble tackling, as you have pointed out previously, and. It's just I wonder how long it takes to build up that defense to be on the level that the offense is playing at, Joel. Well, it's I think it's hard. I think when you have a change in system, which they're going through, um, generally you have missed assignments. When you play really poor defense, generally you have a lot of missed tackles. And right now they're having a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. And when you mix those two together – bad things happen, and, and namely explosives happen on the other side. When you watch that game, when I watch that game, there are long stretches where you think to yourself, like, Texas is playing fine on defense. You know, it's, I don't see it, that this defense is a terrible defense. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. 
out Boom. of position, two missed tackles, gone. Big play. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that happened really fast. And then stretches of quality defense. And then all of a sudden, out of position, two missed tackles, big play. And, and that's the problem. So you've got missed assignments and missed tackles. I believe that the missed assignments can correct themselves. The problem for Texas's defense, the way I see it and view it over the last few years, is that the missed tackles have been a constant. We, they haven't been able to develop themselves as a tackling team. Now, the evidence that that's available to them, I think, is on the other side of the Red River game, which is the fact that I think Oklahoma is actually a much better tackling team than they showed Saturday and that they have been in the past namely about three or four years ago. That's one of the reasons why they're playing so much better defense is that they don't give up the explosives. They can, they can match up up front, and they tackle better in space. That's the direction that Texas has to go on the defensive side. You know, and, and, and when you look at uh, the talent level of this Texas team and um, Steve Sarkeesian trying to get his culture established, uh, first-year coaches always have challenges. Um, in your experience, Joel, uh, how long do you think it will take a great coach? And I, I'm not saying he's a great coach, because, but he's been a great assistant, but a really good coach uh, to establish a culture, especially in a locker room that has had a modicum of success, four straight bowl wins. It's a great question. I, I think first and foremost, you, you have to understand where he came from. Steve's a guy that has had a lot of success, but but – I think it's there's a good enough width to that success, namely being like he's been a great offensive coordinator. He succeeded as a head coach at Washington. Uh, he was a good coordinator then after his head coaching days, and he got the ability and the fortune to sit there and, and learn under Nick Saban for a few years and really see what it, what it takes to be a program that not only recruits at a high level but then develops at a high level. And I think that's been the category that's been missing for Texas. You know, Charlie recruited decently well. Tom recruited even better. And yet, I always got the sense that Texas players, in particular the highly recruited ones, would come in at a certain level, and it never seemed like they got a lot better. Whereas when you look at Alabama, their players get better, even the five-star players. And I think that's something that's been missing for Texas. Mm-hmm. I think Steve's ability to, to pull from his history – and to pull from that experience of being at Alabama and understanding what it takes to develop very talented players is going to pay off in a big way for Texas. Because that's the next step for them, is to continue to recruit at a high level, but then not only that, but then develop more players as well. Absolutely. And then Sark has talked a lot about development. And you can just look at the NFL draft the last 10, 12 years and, and see those players haven't developed. So, uh, John Robinson, you know, he just dazzles us here in Austin on a regular basis. Uh, how good do you think this kid is and can be? Um, yeah, so I think I said it even in the off season, um, even to to one of your counterparts. Um, I told told Chip that I think Bajan's the best running back in college football. I said that though in the summer. That's actually evolved for me into the point where I'm pretty comfortable saying right now, based on what I've seen around the country, I think B. John Robinson is the most dynamic offensive player in the country. Um, he, I saw him firsthand against Kansas State last year, and that was one of the first games, if not the first, but one of the first, right. that they really let him let him go. 
And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, this, this, this is really, really special. And, and I think it went somewhat under the radar because Texas wasn't on the, um, you know, playoff radar. They, right. they didn't get into the Big 12 championship game. And so all of this electricity from Bijan came without the nation really watching. Mm-hmm. So in the offseason, I said things. You know, people would be like, oh, man, Brees Hall, probably the best back in the Big 12. And I would be like, no, Bijan Robinson is. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you always <laughs> talk, talk good about Texas. That's absolutely true. He's absolutely the most dynamic player in the country. So I think Longhorn fans, this is one of those players that just enjoy him. Obviously, you'd love to capitalize and potentially win a conference championship, maybe even get to a playoff with him in a, in a Texas uniform. I'd love it to see. I'd love to see him win a Heisman Trophy. I don't know if he, he can do it that year for or this year with a couple of losses. But if he is going to do it in a weird year, it'd be this one where <laughs> a team in Georgia is the most dominant team doesn't really have a Heisman contender. So okay. I think that okay. this is an interesting year for for Bijan. But yeah, to put it, and I'm I'm long winded, guys. So you can get me on a podcast. And Keep talking, big guy. Keep Kirk, talking, I mean, big guy. Listen, it's gold. We'll take it. Uh, Bijan is, like I said, he's the most dynamic offensive player in college football. Well, I got, I got, got a couple of other good ones. Go ahead, yeah, Cedric. they do. Yeah, I have to ask you about. Uh, you know, you spoke of Heisman. Spencer Rattler may not be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma moving forward. So Lincoln Riley's not named a starter for this week's game. The student newspaper saw. Uh, camped out at a public building and saw saw the uh, other kid, Caleb Williams, taking first-team snaps, and Lincoln shut down media availability this week. So <laughs> what do you think about the cojones on Lincoln Riley to pull Spencer Rattler and put in an unproven and uh, get it done against Texas? I, I mean, I give Lincoln a lot of credit for, for that move. However... It's not the first time. As you guys know, that's the second straight Red River game mm-hmm. in which he's done that. And it paid yeah. off in a huge way for him in that he went back to Rattler and Rattler played amazing uh, in the back half of, of last year's win over Texas. This year, I really believe in his heart of hearts, and he's even alluded to this, that he felt like it was going to be the same blueprint in which he would pull Spencer put Caleb in for a few series, get something out of him, and then go back to Spencer. I don't think he expected the fireworks, electricity, to come out of Caleb like what happened on the field. And he was almost forced to stick with Caleb. Mm-hmm. So now here's here's what's fascinating, guys, and I, and I really believe – First of all, it's a problem of your own making. Don't get mad at the student newspaper. If you don't say tell us who the starter is, that's going to make us all just want to watch your practice. And if there's sure. a building next to the practice field, then we're going to sit there and look through the windows. So, for those kids. You know, having said that, I will say, I don't think he needs to name a starter. And I'm not the type of guy that loves a two-quarterback system because I was a quarterback. And I didn't right. like my backup quarterback. I wanted to be the guy. You know, like, you can call me selfish. Yeah. That's just the nature of the position. So, guys, I I have evolved on that a little bit over the years in the sense that we've got so many different styles of players that can fulfill different roles within an offense. I think it's pretty clear that Spencer and Caleb Williams have a a different talent 
set and that they can actually play two different roles within the same system and may potentially be able to share the field, maybe not at the same time, but within the game and make Oklahoma better. I don't think Oklahoma runs it for over 300 yards unless Caleb Williams comes in the game. I don't think Kidney Brooks has over 200 yards unless Caleb Williams is in the game because the defense all of a sudden has to account for Caleb Williams and the threat of his legs. Now, having said that, I think Spencer is probably a more polished pocket passer. Even though Caleb is very talented, Spencer's got the experience, and you know that because in the two-point play, which certainly the backup quarterback wouldn't have practiced this during the week, but the two-point play, he's not afraid to go right back to Rattler. So the fact that he has a name to starter I don't think is shocking, and I don't think he needs to. I think that we can have quarterback 1A and 1B at Oklahoma because they will fulfill a little bit different role. And then eventually what you'll start to see is a difference in points per possession, overall feeling when a player is in, and somebody will take over that position during the normal course of play. You know, you're right. It, you know, if you want to be the king, got to beat the king, as you know. And Big 12 couldn't do it last year when they started 0-2 in the league. And now Texas has them on the ropes in case finish. Do you expect kind of OU to be hitting its stride right now? And, boy, this is off to the races and they're CFP worthy, Joe? Well, they've played five FBS teams this year. All five of those games have been one-possession games. So this not is good. certainly not the same Oklahoma team that we're um, uh, used to seeing over the last, you know, call it five or six years. Right. Having said that, I do know that Oklahoma is always better late than they are early. We, you, you and I, we, we've yep. watched Oklahoma for a number of years. If you don't get them early in October, it's, it's tough to get them. True. And so the, them figuring this out while still winning, I think, is dangerous for the rest of the conference. Now, having said that, I don't think you have to worry about that if you're the rest of the conference because you just got to get yourself to that game and give, give yourself a 60-minute chance. We've seen a couple of teams play really well against them in that Big 12 championship game. Texas played well against them. Baylor played well against them. Iowa Mm -hmm. State played well against them. So the goal here is for all these other teams is just give yourself a chance. How do I find myself in that game and and let the chips fall where they may? Well, the last one for me, and and, and I should have said this minutes ago, the, the boxing analogies, they score points with me. Joel, I'm a big boxing fan, and I saw the the heavyweight fight the other night. Uh, Right after the heavyweight, right before that heavyweight fight between Fury and Wilder, the Texas A&M Aggies took down down Alabama, uh, shockingly so, in shocking fashion. Uh, What does that do for the landscape of college football? And is it more fun to see one of the big dogs uh, you know, some new meat getting in there and one of the big dogs finally taking it on the chin. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we've seen that over the course of the entire season. Now think about it. The three, I would call them most preeminent programs in America right now are Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. And each one of them has a loss. And I think that's good for the sport. I really do. Our top four now doesn't include any of those teams. Our top four includes a group of five team, includes an Iowa team out of the Big Ten West that nobody thought of, you know, in, in much high esteem coming into the season, and a Georgia team that's that's highly talented and, and looks to be in the vein of some of those great teams that have won national championships over the last few years. 
I think that that's wonderful for the sport. The only thing that I wish that we had is an expanded playoff so that this was real. So that Texas A&M wouldn't just be sitting here playing the role of spoiler, but with an outside shot to potentially grab one of the 12 spots. Same could be said for Texas or Arkansas or Ole Miss or any one of these teams that have had some success early this season and still at this point in October would be on the outside looking in. So I'm hoping we can get to a point where this playoff is expanded, that we that we can incorporate the excitement that we see on a weekend like last weekend, and we can continue it and further it into the into the back end of November. In Cincinnati, I think you've got a number three in your power rankings. They run the table, go undefeated, Joel. Do you think we'll see Cincinnati in the college football playoff? I don't know. I think that that remains to be seen. I'll paint a, a very quick picture in which they would miss, even as being an undefeated. If Ohio State, as a one loss, beats an undefeated Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, there's a good chance both of those schools go. Mm-hmm. If a one loss Alabama beats an undefeated Georgia in the SEC championship, there's a good chance that both of them would go. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- there are so many scenarios. I don't think anyone other than probably Georgia right now is a control their own destiny, win, and you're in. Probably Iowa would be be in that, those two. Those two remain undefeated. They're going to be in. Oklahoma remains undefeated. They're going to be in. Uh, But everybody else, I think it's going to be a wild race for that that fourth spot. Well, that's a crazy year, isn't it? No doubt. And I love every moment of it. (laughs) Man, we do, too. Joe, man, we we so appreciate you stopping by to, to chat with us today. Joe Clatt will be on the call with Gus Johnson, 11 a.m. Saturday, Oklahoma State at Texas on Fox. Man, uh, it's been a pleasure, and let's chop it up again sometime soon, brother. You got it. Pleasure's mine. Have a good one, guys. Thank you, Joe. Take care, buddy. On Second Thought. Duck, what a great conversation with Joe Clatt. Man, he was as good as advertised. And he said his head has cleared since 2005, so he makes a lot of sense. So thank you. I'm glad he's got all his marbles, and uh, he's just a cool guy. Yeah, that really was his, that was his last game, and that Drew Kelson hit um, in, in Houston in that Big 12 title game. That was it for Joel. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, so, but yeah, but his, I'm so glad career, that you his know career just taken off. Yeah, and he's just so just so fluid and so bright and. Uh, he and Gus Johnson, man, that's a great duo because Gus, Gus always brings it, and uh, that's that's just a great pairing. And uh, you know, I always tape the games that I cover, but uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to going back and watching the broadcast just to see what they bring. Yeah, to they it. they're just they're a stand up crew, bring a lot of emotion and passion and intelligence. So no, I I couldn't agree with you more. Man, I, I did. I, I do have to bring this up. I know it was a, it's a somber note, but a longtime Texas basketball coach Leon Black uh, passed away this week, um, and you wrote a, a great tribute to him in the Statesman uh, this week. Age eighty nine. Uh, what's your favorite memory of Coach Black? Oh boy, that's a, you know one of my favorite memories is just after this guy gets fired. After about 10 years, he was like 15 games under 500. And this guy, he just loved the game. I mean, 
he was a five-eight point guard at a Martin Mill in East Texas out near here. That's my area. Grew up. Yes, sir. Yeah, that is your area. Coached at Lon Morris, and he played at Texas. He was an assistant coach at Texas. Anyway, went away and improved himself, and then he came back as the head coach. And uh, I was talking to Chris Beard uh, yesterday, and he said, uh, "I really think he's kind of the face of Texas basketball because." You know, he did all those things. He played here, assistant coach here, head coach here. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, what a what a legacy this guy. He, he opened the, the the racial barriers. He broke those down. He recruited the first seven black players on scholarship here. And uh, he, he just kind of changed the, the face of Texas basketball. And, you know, just, you know, and you hate to see somebody like that forgotten. He was just a sweetheart, classy guy, never cussed. Read his Bible every day. He was a pretty bad golfer, but you know, <laughs> hey, nobody can be perfect. So right? are you. So are you. <laughs> so yeah. Good point. And, and you know what? Without without Leon Black, there's no Jimmy Blacklock. There's no Larry Robinson. Yep. There's no Johnny yep. Moore. I mean, those guys. Got, those yeah, were the, the OGs. Uh, without those guys, there's no Kevin Durant. There's no TJ Ford. Yep. So it yep. had to start somewhere, and so. Uh, anyone who doesn't know their Longhorn basketball history, go back, read Kirk Bowles' column on hookem.com and learn something about this great man. To sum that up, said I just think uh, this guy was a classy guy, gentleman. He gave his life to University of Texas basketball. He's the guy that got fired and still came to every home game. I think he missed like three home games and since, uh, oh my gosh, since like 64 to 2018, he was the staple at the Gregory Gym and then Frank Irwin Center. And can't say enough uh, good things about him. And I was just blessed to have known him well. And just uh, our condolences to his family. Well, yeah, man. And 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 he he was a lover of ball. He was a lover of sports. And you know, we 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 can't can't get out of here without talking about uh, what's going on. In the Metroplex, the Dallas Cowboys. Doug. How about it? Is this real? I mean, you were there. They took care of the New York football giants. They blew up uh, Danny Dimes, knocked him out of the game. And right. this kid, Trayvon Diggs, I think a couple of years ago, Stefan Diggs was getting credit as one of the most underrated receiver in all of football. And the way things are going, he may not even be the best player in his own family now. His little brother's <laughs> yeah. doing work, Doug. I, I want to buy some stock in the Diggs family, I'm telling <laughs> you. Yeah, or if they're kidding to Quandre, he's having a good year, too. Yeah, and uh, he had good lineage, too. You know, uh, being uh, well, the half-brother of uh, Quentin Jammers. So, uh, a, in, our, yeah, in my community, he's a brother. A brother is a brother. Yeah. We don't put fractions yeah. on it. But, he, you know, but that's one thing I really like about this Cowboy team is these defensive these youngsters like Trayvon Diggs, uh, Anthony Brown's coming on. He, he's been burned some, but he's improving. Had a pick six Sunday against the Giants. And you look at Micah Parsons, their first-round uh, draft pick uh, out of Penn State, and he made Jalen Smith expendable. So they cut him last week. And uh, it, so I like the young team. I like how aggressive they are and. They're like plus seven in turnovers. I think they have like 12 takeaways. And Diggs has six interceptions already. He has at least one in every game. So if that defense is, keeps catching fire 
and they are anywhere close to the level of the offense, they might just be the best team in the NFL. And that's scary to say that. Uh, and, and this kid catches the ball like a receiver. He's a converted receiver, and you can tell because he catches it out in front of himself with his hands. Right. He doesn't let it get into his pads, soft hands, and he's always ready to do something after he catches it. Uh, you know, Leighton Vander Esch flashed on my on my flat screen a couple of times. He yeah. looks refreshed, and I just you know if they if they can get get stay healthy, and you know Lyle Collins is going all the way to the Supreme Court to try to get back on the field. Mm-hmm. That was denied, but Terrence Steele may have Wally pipped him. It seems like <laughs> Terrence Steele has a little something something to say. Uh, when Lyle gets back about that left tackle position, Doug, or right tackle. Yeah, no, you're right, and and they're running the ball better. I mean, I mean that tandem of uh, Zeke and Pollard, boy, it's, is is there a better tandem in the NFL? Yes, than those two? yes, there is. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, but these guys are running a very close second. Chubb they and they Hunt are, are beast. Are they second. are beastly yep. in Cleveland, and uh, but I'm telling you. The one thing that I like about um, the one thing I like about Pollard is you know Zeke has his burst back, but Tony Pollard is way faster. And when yep. he hits that hole, you know one of them's number twenty and one of them's number twenty-one. If they're not wearing jerseys, you can tell which is which because Pollard gets there so much faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does have that explosiveness, and like you say. I don't know how much weight Zeke has lost. But he is a lean machine, and he was feeling it uh, on Sunday against the Giants. You know, here's the other thing, too, and I think we both believe in, in what they have and where they're going, and they have that god-awful NFC East division to contend with. But the one thing I would note that you worry about a little bit is they beat the Giants when they barely had Saquon Barkley, like, got hurt on the second drive of the game. Man, that they poor beat kid. Carolina without Christian McCaffrey, and they lost to the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks in the season opener, which they could have won and probably should have won. But they got to beat great teams, and I don't know if they're going to play many great teams. Now, they're playing New England this weekend. They've never won it at Fox. Well, they haven't won in Foxborough since the 80s, but they've never beaten a Bill Belichick coach New England team. So, but they're not a great team either. So, can they beat the great teams the way they're structured right now, Sid? I think they can because they're not they're not just Dak dependent anymore. Right. They, they are they are arguably the most balanced team in the league. When you look at superstar uh, production from Dak Prescott at quarterback, Zeke has his burst back. You have two really good receivers in Amari Cooper and uh, C.D. Lamb. You have the emerging Dalton Schultz at tight end, who is very, very good. He's had a little dropsies the last couple of games, but you can tell the potential he has. And the most important part is you have a defense that was, at this time last year, one of the worst defenses in the league. Now all of a sudden, all of a sudden they're growing up – and Dan Quinn has has them mobilized, and he's out at practice on uh, Wednesday with a helmet on, going through drills with the players. It's that kind of enthusiasm that has me excited about the Dallas Cowboys. Mike McCarthy does not have me excited 
about his ability <laughs> to coach. But that's okay. Maybe he's excess baggage. But if he stays out of the way, Doug, if he stays out of the way and let the, and lets the talent speak for itself, I think that the Dallas Cowboys are going to make some noise. If you look at the other teams in the NFC, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers do not run the football very well. Fournette is okay, but he's not Ezekiel Elliott. Tom Brady is still Tom Brady, and they have they have great weapons. I think that they that the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Bucks right now, Duck, and there's a lot of season left. They're on a collision course to meet in the NFC Championship game, and I can't you believe so? I just said that out loud on a podcast. I I think you know I mentioned this a week or two ago. I could see a Dallas Buffalo, you know, Super Bowl because. You know, Buffalo's one of the most complete teams with a good defense. Uh, Josh Allen, an MVP candidate. They, Singletary and, and Zach Moss, you know, capable to good running attack. Uh, I like Buffalo, too. And, and don't sleep on the Chargers and obviously the Arizona Cardinals. So, you know, I think we've named kind of the top five teams. Rams, you put them in there, but they don't really have a running game. And you know, don't stop the run all that well. But those are probably the top six, five, six teams I would think in the NFL right now. What do you think about Green Bay? I mean, what is it about Green Bay? Some leave me uneasy. They, mean, you know, they don't make. They're not a playmaking defense. Um, no, and Aaron Rodgers still way too pass happy. Now he's yep. getting the ball a little bit more to Aaron Jones, but I think at the end yeah, of the day, should. it's Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Uh, make, making it happen, but I think I think Aaron Jones is very underused on that team. Yeah, and you know Mason Crosby getting up there in years missed what three kicks in a row on Sunday before the game winner. So, yeah, I don't know. I just I'm just feel uneasy about the Packers. I, I just like these other teams that we've mentioned, uh, and I keep wondering about Tampa. I mean, you know Fournette, he's playing good. He's having a really good year. Ronald Jones is kind of been an afterthought there so but uh you know as long as you have brady you know and those offensive weapons they're going to be right up there so it's going to be who avoids the, the big injuries you know now that uh we're uh getting close to halfway seat halfway point i guess there isn't a halfway point when you have 17 games is there <laughs> eight and a half games is halfway i don't know if they're going to be able to pull a king solomon and chop that game in half like he threatened to do to that baby I don't. I don't know if I want to get biblical with that, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know how we handle that, Doug. But man, I, 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 before we get out of here, man, the biggest story in the league, Doug. Wow, John Gruden. He is done as the Las Vegas Raiders head coach amid a a New York Times slash Wall Street Journal investigations uh, with emails leaked and. I, I have a question for you about John Gruden. Yes. Ask is he is he racist? Is he is he misogynistic? Is he a bigot? Is he a chauvinist? He comes across as someone who just hates everybody. Well, um, he sure does. Who does he like in life? Talk, talk about an angry white straight man. I mean, you put it in writing. You don't leave a whole lot of confusion there. There was a lot of clarity in the way he felt. And this wasn't one slip of the tongue. This wasn't one email. It was emails over, what, seven years? Many, I mean, many emails. You always have a, a great saying said when you say, well, I was glad that happened because he or she showed me who they were. 
Yes. And I think these emails showed us who John Gruden was. And, you know, you don't make those kind of comments. And then I, I was just infuriated by his uh, resignation speech that, oh, I fall on my sword because I didn't want to be a distraction. Uh, I never meant to hurt anyone. Really? You never meant to hurt anyone? When you're questioning female refs, when you're questioning anybody who's gay, when you are verbally slamming the the black executive director of the NFLPA and the commissioner, what did you mean to do? Topless, topless to photos of cheerleaders. Uh, just yeah. a just a buffoon of of a yep. move by him. Just just a hundred million dollar mistake by John yeah. Gruden and. Uh, you know, I know when when these pe- people are rich and 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 for people like us, it a hundred million dollars we can't even fathom a hundred million dollars. Right. Yeah. But you look at you look at how they just so readily throw it away. You know, Kyrie Irving may throw away thirty five million dollars yeah. because he doesn't yeah. want to get the shot. I mean, right? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Kyrie, just throw it away. Yeah, you're gonna in twenty years you're gonna be like, oh my god, my grandkids may have to work. So mm-hmm. you know, those are those are things. That that I just don't get, and Keyshawn Johnson did not. The ESPN uh, commentator, studio analyst, oh, yeah. former player, played for Gruden in Tampa Bay, won a Super Bowl with Gruden in Tampa Bay. He said it. He goes, he's a bad person. Yeah. And he goes, and I was saying it back then, and no one wanted to listen because they just thought I was a disgruntled receiver because mm-hmm. I said, throw me the damn ball. He goes, he's a bad person. And the smugness of Gruden over the years, the smugness. And uh, the one question that, I'm, that I've got to leave you with on this, Doug, is what did those people write back to him? What did Bruce Allen reply? You know, because yeah. we've all been around racist people where, where we just kind of go, well, look, I, I don't roll like that. I try right. to respect people, so I can't, I can't hang with you. But if these emails were happening over a seven-year period, my guess is those people were writing them back. And what were they saying? Mm-hmm. I think the NFLPA wants trans- out, yeah, they want transparency, and they want those emails to all yeah. come out. And if they do, Duck, and I'm, I'm putting it out there, if they do, we're talking about 31 wh- you, mostly white conservative billionaires. Yep. Uh, what are, what did they say in some of those emails? I don't include Shad Khan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's not a white man, but I'm thinking that there are going to be some more dominoes that fall as we move forward. These newspapers, the New York Times, not going to stop investigating. Doug. There's way more to this than John Gruden. No, and I, I, I agree with you. And I'll say one thing. I just hate the council culture that we are in where you slip up and make a mistake and then you're gone. But this was a track record. This was seven year span that he was spewing out this hate and divisiveness. So I don't feel sorry for him at all. And for people that say, well, you know, do we have freedom of speech in this country or not? Yes, Yes, we do, but not without consequences. And you can't just say whatever you want. Same as you can't say fire in a theater, okay? You you live uh, with the words, and you and I know as well as anybody doing a weekly podcast and writing four or five columns a week and doing videos and all over. So, And after a while, you know who you're dealing with. 
and I don't think we really did with John Gruden till now. So, as you said, he showed us who he really was. And the and the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis, the son of of Al Davis, uh, the the guy, the architect of the Raider Nation, uh, was asked about Gruden. He goes, "Ask the NFL. The NFL has all the answers. I have no comment." That's very smug. That is very smug. And it comes across as someone who didn't want to part ways with John Gruden because he chased John Gruden for years. For those who don't remember, Al Davis, his father, hired John Gruden and fired John Gruden. And after his dad died, Mark Davis made it his mission to bring in Chucky to coach the Raiders. They moved to Vegas. They're in their swanky new stadium, and now all of a sudden they are under the direction of an interim coach because John Gruden proved to be a racist, misogynistic, hateful bigot. And the league, good for the league to say that it has no room for that kind of behavior uh, in its in its organizations. Absolutely. Amen to that. Well, Duck, I think we need to shut it down, man. Oh, man, what what a great podcast, and you just never know what you're going to get. But, man, anytime we can get a new voice on our little show, it's always great. Joe Klatt chopped it up. We were all over Longhorns, Cowboys at 11 a.m. Saturday, all over the Cowboys. They're at New England on Sunday and we are going to be back. Check out our stuff on hook'em.com, and that will do it for episode 238 of On Second Thought. We got to thank Joe Klatt once again for joining us for the Duck Kirk Bowls. I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.